Lucas, I think it's safe to say that when we started this podcast, we didn't get in we didn't get in it for what we were going to receive from it, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, we didn't get in this, we didn't think we were going to get famous, we didn't think that we were going to uh, strike it rich, we didn't. We weren't going to do any any of that. I think that's probably safe to assume. Speak for yourself, Will. I was in it for the glory and the prestige, and well. the undying, uh, the, the embarrassment of riches, and uh, the sphere of influence. Well, that's fair. I mean, not to say that we... <laughs> <laughs> to say that we haven't seen a little bit of that, what I, what I'm leading up to is that, although we do, w- hey, first of all, we're very thankful for everybody who has uh, given us money through our Patreon or through individual donations. That is very very cool. But something I don't think that I ever anticipated uh, when we began to get listeners uh, to send us emails and stuff like that, you know, I never expected that we would actually like receive. Um, cool stuff in the mail from mm. our listeners. Uh, of course, we mentioned a few episodes ago back in, um, I think it was either early January or late December, that we did receive a, a lovely, lovely present uh, from a listener, and we actually received another package um, just this past week that we're recording this. The ECL mailbag. Yeah. The, the, it runneth over. The physical mailbag, actually. Yeah, you're right. And now, Lucas, I haven't been able to get this to you yet, but one thing that I'm still on the lookout for is a good Boston cream pie. I want to mm. know I want to know what this tastes like after hearing about it in Arthur for decades. But one of our listeners decided to give us something of, of close equivalence and... I will get it to you as soon as I can, Lucas. We actually just had like a snowstorm here, so that waylaid us a little bit. But our listener, Ross Ward, we want to say a big thank you for the lovely uh, holiday card that you sent us and for sending us Boston Cream Donut Pop-Tarts in the mail. It's true. We Neither of us, because you've never had a Boston Cream Pie, right, Will? Never, never. No, same here. And a Boston cream donut, though, is far more common around here. You can get them from Timmy's. Yes. Uh, but this is, I think, of a much higher quality. This is more artisanal. Uh, and I, for one, cannot wait. And we will, of course, report our findings on the podcast. I also still have to try the the vanilla olive oil ice cream. That is still coming Okay. Uh, for right. our Patreon subscribers. I haven't dipped in yet. Uh, so that's on the way as well. We'll do it. We'll I'll I'll taste test both and report my findings. So thank you again to Ross Ward for that lovely gift. Again, um, gifts and even joining our Patreon is not necessary. If you're listening to Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast, you can listen to this for free as long as you want to. But man, we really do appreciate this stuff. So Ross, thank you from the both of us. And yeah, that is our physical. Uh, Elwood City Limits mailbag. By the way, my name's Will Young. Lucas Mancini is my co-host. And this week, speaking of runneth over, we do actually have a few emails over at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. So let's get into that before we discuss this episode. Of course, uh, catching up on our back catalog and meeting us along the way is Ashley Hollingsworth. Here's another update from Ashley. Uh, So she starts off by saying, Will, I know exactly what you're talking about with the downside of handwriting. I, too, suffer from my brain moving faster than my hand can. I try to tell myself to slow down, but my imagination and sometimes time constraints get the better of me. This is a conversation we had recently. 
Getting to the latest episode of ECL, really loved it, enjoyed the conversation about Francine's cleats of strength and Little Miss Meanie. I enjoyed it more than the Arthur episode itself. I had the same reaction as Will when Francine wasn't thrilled about being paid to do nothing. There's part of me that would love that. Please pay me to keep you company, eat your food, and help you pick furniture. But there's a part of me that sides with Lucas. I also have a job where it's primarily answering emails, and there are long stretches of time where there are no emails. The phones aren't ringing, my other projects are waiting for review, and there's just nothing to do. On those days, I really wish I could end the day early and go home. If you're going to make me leave my house, I'd better have some work to do at the office. If it was remote... That'd be another story. And Lucas, I mean, you're you're at home today. I work from home, so I do have that. It's funny. I was speaking with a technically a coworker with one of my jobs who works in an office here in town, and he's like, "Hey, we do have an extra desk here. Like, you ever want to come into the office and do work?" And I was uh, like, <laughs> I, 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 "I couldn't I how that conversation went. <laughs> I couldn't hide my like I had my laughter is like." <laughs> No, no, I do not. <laughs> like he he meant it just like you know there is something to being in an office and getting to know your coworkers, but this was just right. like I'm sorry. I especially because a lot of my jobs are very remote. There is no like set up office, and I'm just like I mm. don't. I largely don't miss that, and especially not the gas bills, not the driving in. Yeah, no, it's I. I getting I totally to do understand. laundry during the day—that's probably oh. the biggest one. Oh my god! Yes, absolutely. It doesn't cut into your free time. As for little Miss Meanie, I was also shook when Muffy said Lydia was only going to win because she's in a wheelchair. Couldn't believe I heard that. But like, but I like Lucas's point of starting Muffy off this episode so low, it gives her a chance to rise up. It's important to remember anyone can say something out of pocket, even people you love. That's where you can step into express how that comment made you feel and hopefully educate them. If they refuse to listen and grow from there, uh, then maybe that's when you cancel. Interesting that we're getting this as well, Lucas. I'm we've got that Netflix live action Avatar: The Last Airbender coming oh out. The big my thing, gosh. the big thing going around this week is that they removed a plot element from early in the show that involves one of the characters having misogynist beliefs that are then challenged and reversed essentially. So eliminating an entire arc because we assume they, they want to be able to soften those rougher edges of the character so that nobody gets turned off early on. And this kind of goes to what we were talking about in that, in that last episode. Well, it's it's a really good, you know, not to be too much of an old head and wax poetic on the current state of children's media. Yes. But it's pretty crazy that, you know, a Nickelodeon show from how many years ago was Avatar? Like 15 years ago? Yeah. Decade, uh, two decades. I, I, you know, that's now got too hard of an edge for today's sensibilities, for today's <laughs> Netflix watching sensibilities. It's pretty kind of frightening, right? Like, mm. at what point do we start to say that, you know, this is a little bit of a straw man, but at what point do we start to say SpongeBob is bullying Squidward? You know, we have to, in new episodes of SpongeBob, they have to be amicable neighbors where there's no kind of tension in between them. Um, I don't even need the character to grow and change because, you know, some people in real life 
who have unsavory qualities never grow and change. And, and art should be a reflection of our reality, even children's art. So I think it's a really kind of, it's indicative of some really bad stuff coming down the pipeline. If something as innocuous as Avatar The Last Airbender is uh, kind of too out there or harsh for today's kind of streaming show watching audiences. I, I was really kind of harrowed by that news. Yeah, it strikes me as very reactionary from the uh, mm-hmm. the, the the suits behind the decision, just like uh, ultimately for the worst. But we'll we'll have to see. I also found Lucas's point of the lack of antagonists on Arthur to be interesting. I never thought about it, but I agree. Everyone that was a bully or antagonist has been softened. Maybe with the exception of the Tibbles, they're still pretty awful. Such as Emily, who is pretty snotty and annoying, now she's DW's best friend. Muffy was insufferable and a walking stereotype, and now she's likable. And as you already said, the tough customers are the cool older kids with a little edge to them. Francine has softened over the years. It's like old Animal Crossing versus new. The villagers were straight up mean to you. Now they're overly nice and it doesn't matter if you've abandoned your town for three years they'll drop to their knees praising your return i'm not i'm not i don't play animal crossing so uh or i haven't uh so i hopefully that's a that's a good uh, analogy there looking forward to your thoughts on mr rapper and secret identity one of the strongest episodes of the season hmm, we'll see about that but thank you ashley appreciate <laughs> you This one's from Anonymous, who has two stories to share with us, one related to PBS, the other related to literacy and reading. So, I don't know if you've heard this, but after the success of the Barbie movie, Mattel is making a Bob the Builder movie starring Anthony Ramos, who is one of the actors from Hamilton, and Jennifer Lopez as a producer. Uh, Apparently, Bob's name is going to be Roberto, and he's going to be set in Puerto Rico, which for context is a U.S. territory, not a state Uh, But it has a reputation of being seriously damaged by hurricanes as the island itself is relatively small. I don't know if you've discussed Bob the Builder, but this might be your opportunity to if not. So, yeah, I did. I did actually hear about this and it's like, okay, cool. Like, I I don't know a lot about Bob the Builder. Never really interacted with it. So uh, Uh, I I used to watch it back in the day. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen the memes, Will, about. You know, when you're an edgy little kid. Yes. The Bob the Builder theme song, it's so positive. It's got that refrain, can we fix it? Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. Except when you're a little mean little kid, you go, no, we can't. <laughs> you, you try to bring some negativity, negativity to Bob the Builder. Um, it's interesting that they're, you know, changing him to Roberto. Uh, Handy Mandy, wasn't that the whole thing with Handy Mandy? That he was kind of a, a Latino Bob the Builder? Hispanic Bob the Builder? I've, um, hand, handy Manny, handy Handy Mandy, Handy Manny. I handy. I, 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 actually, I mean I I'm I don't mean to correct you. I literally have never heard of this before. Yes, Handy Manny. Okay, no, I I don't uh, know. Uh, full name. Uh, what is it? Just a second. Handy Manuel. Ma- Manuel Estevez Garcia the Third. Okay. Is handy Manny's full name. Um, th- there was a bunch of Mattel. Uh, like after the success of the Barbie mm-hmm. movie, they announced like a million projects. There was, I think, going to be a Polly Pocket movie directed by Lita Dunham. Um, yes, yeah, I remember that. But uh, D- Vin, D- Vin Diesel where... with uh, Rocket Sock Robots, I think, was another one. It's one of those things where I'll believe it when I see it. Yes, like, I think uh, Hollywood, the powers that be, they got really excited after the the Barbieheimer phenomenon, um, and just because something's in the works or announced 
you know, does not necessarily mean it will come to fruition. I'd be surprised if a, a even a significant amount of these projects come about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll probably have to wait, you know, two to three years uh, before we actually see any of these come to fruition. So, um, sounds interesting, you know, rebuilding the hurricane ravaged Puerto Rico. That's, that's quite the, uh, uh, that's quite the recontextualization of Bob the filter. I wonder <laughs> if there's going to be talking construction equipment, if that's the case. Uh, but either way, it remains to be seen if this will actually, uh, come to be. My guess is probably not. I bet the majority of these projects don't actually, uh, come about. Well, I'm still like, to, to your point, it's like, Every time I hear news about that Daniel Kaluuya Barney movie that's, like, totally going to be, like, sick and dark and twisted, I'm just like, is that happening, though? Like, are we (laughs) totally sure about that? Maybe maybe it will. I I don't know. Remember, Uh, uh, I was listening to a podcast about this the other day. They already made that with Deft to Smoochie. Yes, yes, which which came around when I was quite a bit younger. I have I have not seen it, man. You get some polarizing reviews on that still, but Death uh, to yeah. Death well, to and, and it's about Will. Stop me if you've heard this. Had this idea before. Imagine if Barney swore. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably and that's why they're making that new Daniel Kaluuya film is because if you're uh, seven. That's probably the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life is, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Party the dinosaur used cusses. <laughs> well, and and speaking of that, like, it's funny you were mentioning, like, the whole, like, you know, Bob the Builder thing where it's like you would say, no, we can't instead of yes, we can. I remember when I was younger, like, I, I think I was in, like, junior high. I had a friend of mine, and this and this is before the Internet was as prevalent as it is, so, like, a lot of urban legends just spread through something somebody at school heard about. And my buddy was like, oh, there was totally an episode of Bob the Builder where he, like, swore on camera and they, like, left it in. And I was like, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know enough to, like, disprove it. (laughs) Uh, I think that's, like, an urban legend around Bob the Builder. But, yeah, totally. That same sort of thing. Uh, This this is back to Anonymous. The second story is from a podcast I listened to called ICYMI, the acronym for in case you missed it. It's about internet culture. Recently, they had this content creator named Michael the Librarian, and the clip he referenced, having fun isn't hard. He even has it in his Twitter bio. So a bit of a podcast recommendation there. I'll take a listen to that. Michael the Librarian, I've seen that person around. uh, I don't have TikTok, but like Instagram reels and Twitter and stuff like that. Seems cool, and uh, yeah, hope that uh, hope that they're doing well. I'll be interested to learn more about him from this podcast episode. Thank you, Anonymous. And our last one here is from Ingrid, with a bit of a mystery that I'm putting out there to our listening audience as well. So Ingrid says, Hi there, I hope you don't mind. I'm wondering if you could help me with something that has nothing to do with Arthur. I have a memory of a movie I watched when I was a kid spending summers in Ohio, and I want to revisit the movie, but have no idea what it was. I lived in Utah for most of the years, but when I was in Ohio, I would watch things on TV that didn't air in Utah. I think Ohio played more Canadian shows than Utah did because of its location, so I'm wondering, since you are Canadian TV buffs, maybe one of you have seen this movie and could tell me what it is. Here's what I remember. So here we go. A boy, the main character, wakes up in his room on his floor and assumes everything he just went through was a dream. He's relieved and runs outside to play. But then the villains of the story are in his mirror behind him, conspiring. It wasn't a dream. There are some minor characters, possibly mice. One of them tell another something like, be safe, 
or be careful. The character gets offended by this because they believe that they can take care of themselves and feel the character is babying them. They later realize the character had said it out of love and is touched by it. There is a big battle scene with a big dragon. Thanks for any help. I know it's really random, but I was listening to Elwood City Limits today and realized that maybe since you two are Canadian, you might know. Thanks again. That's from Ingrid. So off the top of my head, the only thing that this sounds familiar to me about, there was an episode of, was it Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark? I was going to say, it sounds like Goosebumps or or Are You Afraid of the Dark, one of those horror anthology shows. So there was an episode of one of them that was about a kid who wanted to have like more responsibility or he wanted to feel more grown up. And then he went into like a series of um, like he felt like he fell asleep in his attic. And then like he dreams that he's a hockey player. He dreams that he's a surgeon. He dreams that he's going to get married. And it's all this plot by this. I don't know, like shadowy organization because he didn't appreciate his life. Um, if you ever seen like years and years ago before he got canceled, mega canceled, uh, John Tron did a video on them and that was one of the ones he talked about. Um, that's the closest I can figure, but it doesn't have a lot of the things that Ingrid's talking about. So it doesn't have the mice. It doesn't have the dragon. Does it ring any bells for you, Lucas? No, no, I, I, uh, it's not ringing any bells, but you know, it's not just us. The listener is asking They're now we're bringing it to the Elwood city limits fateful. So maybe someone in the discord, uh, knows what this listener's talking about. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this, whether you're a patron or whether you're listening on the free feed, uh, send us an email, send us a message with what you think it is. And we'll try to, to narrow down, uh, what this could be. And Ingrid, if we do end up finding it, Please let us know, or if you end up finding it, uh, we would like to know as well. So thanks, everybody, for your emails. Nice to get a few more in the in the old electronic mailbag. That's elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com if you would like to send us something. Uh, speaking of sending us something, thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits who have uh, ponied up with a bit of cash and have received... Uh, the latest episode of the new For the Kids podcast where we talked about Veggie Tales. It's a good one. And there's a lot of uh, Veggie Tale heads uh, uh, among our patrons who uh, have been sharing some of their memories and info and uh, even corrections with us. So appreciate that. It's been really cool to kind of talk with everybody about uh, what a touchstone this was for many of our childhoods. So that sounds good to you. All you have to do is sign up at our Patreon, and we will be having a episode of ECL Origins coming in February, and I'll let you know what that is at the end of the episode. But first, we want to say thank you to patrons such as Christine Wong, Kevin Noon, and Caitlin Harrington-Robinson, patrons like Owen and Nicholas DeMarco and Robert Morrison and Sydney Long. Thank you to Baby Show Addict and Derek Rachopo and Young Wee, and thank you to Rory Forever. Thank you to Cecil Robinson and Maria Gisselquist. Thank you to Maisie Rose Sterling, and thank you to Stanley Fryman, and more. If it's been a while since you've heard your name in the patron roll call, just uh, send me a message. We are getting close to the end of the season here, and we're starting off with Mr. Ratburn's secret identity. 
It's a lot about it's a lot about superheroes in this one. In fact, we learned something about Dark Bunny that we didn't know before. Arthur and Buster have just seen Dark Bunny reborn again at the movie theater. We also see a poster for another movie, Dark Bunny versus the Cisco Squid. They're talking about Dark Bunny, and as they are walking down the street, they're being saved from danger by several superheroes who are in their normal person disguises. So there's like that lady with glasses, which is a character model we've seen a bunch of times. She saves them. There's a man in a suit who stretches like rubber to make sure they don't fall in a pit. There's even a baby superhero who absorbs a bunch of water and blows up like a balloon so that they don't get hit with it. And this is talking. This is, yeah. uh, I just want to say during this montage, you know, not just Dark Bunny, which has been kind of a running side character throughout all of Arthur, I think going back all the way to season one. Um, but there's another nod to the early seasons, which is that, you know, the piano almost falls on them, which is, I, I see as a nod to Buster Baxter, Piano Tamer, mm. way back in the day, when we were thinking about kind of Arthur's first foray into superheroes. Yes, good catch. I actually, I actually missed that. I didn't consider that. Uh, and what we find out about Dark Bunny is that in the show, his alter ego is Deuce Dwayne. So if you're if you were ever confused <laughs> Which about Which is a little lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're ever wondering, uh, gee, I wonder what does Dark Bunny remind you of? I think you could figure it out. But this ties into the episode because it's all about alter egos and potentially superheroes. Mr. Radburn is called away during class because his cell phone rings, which is the first time that this happens in the show, but we will see it happen again in a much more famous Mr. Ratburn episode a few seasons from now, which is highly unlikely. This makes all the kids suspicious. Uh, He gets called away from class, and he puts on a film all about the freshwater mollusk. Sounds pretty dope, by the way. I would watch a PBS film about the history of the freshwater mollusk. I think think they got to get a new narrator for this, though. I feel like they they really should have sprang for, um, what's, uh, what's his, David Attenborough. Like, we, uh, mm. like you really it need would probably some... sound too engaging at that point, though. Like, <laughs> the kids, the whole point of this joke is that the kids are groaning that they have to watch this video of a freshwater mollusk, but I don't know. Sounds dope to me. So there's a couple of theories between LaDonna, Arthur, and Buster. Uh, LaDonna thinks that he may be, like, a backup uh, caterer of some sort to, uh, f- to a firefighter, but Buster thinks that he might be a superhero who is escaped, who is escaping from aliens. Uh, and Mr. Ratburn, behind closed doors, reveals to Mr. Haney that he's not a superhero, but he is part of the local community theater and their production of the Pirates of Penzance, and he says that Sir Chester Wimple, who is a world-famous opera singer, will be guest-starring. So Mr. Ratburn does not sing. He does costumes and props for the troupe, but Buster mishears this, and he also sees a shadow of Mr. Ratburn dramatically on like a chair doing a bit from the Pirates of Penzance. And that makes him think he's a superhero. I was surprised because we had the farewell to Walter Massey some episodes ago in this season, who is Mr. Haney's voice actor. And I figured that would be the last we'd hear of him, but maybe, uh, maybe this is it right here. Like the very last vocal appearance from Walter Massey as Mr. Haney. I wasn't expecting him to speak. Yeah, I was surprised too because I was—I I thought we were done with seeing for Mr. Haney. So a lovely surprise, you know, one of my all-time favorite characters. 
uh, and a little bit melancholy knowing that this might be the last time we ever hear from him. Also, uh, the kids even bring up, by the way, mm-hmm. they're speculating about what's up with Mr. Ratburn. Um, and Arthur brings up the time, I think this is episode two of Arthur, uh, <laughs> when they thought he was a vampire. Yes. And he was, like decapitating children. Uh, and it almost <laughs> does an episode a disservice that they bring this up uh, because mm. it, it naturally I start to compare this episode to that episode. Uh, and I want you to keep this in mind, you know, throughout that episode, we don't actually get the explanation of what Mr. Rappert is actually doing until the end, right? So yeah. We're seeing the whole episode from the kid's perspective. So we see him with these, like, limbs, and then we learn, oh, it's because he's a puppeteer. They're, they're puppet pieces, not children. Um, in this episode, almost immediately, Mr. Rappert tells us what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want you to think about, you know, what does that mean for us as a viewer as we watch this episode? Right. And of course, I mean, it's it's harder now because we've had 19 seasons of Mr. Ratburn. We know that there's more to him than meets the eye. So it's harder to do the like, like, what is he up to again? It's like, yeah, it's probably something to do with puppets or theater or something. Uh, and 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 yes, Lucas, uh, it's it's easy for me to remember. I don't remember a lot of our episode titles of, F- of Elwood City Limits off by heart. But the one I do remember is for that episode because it was beyond vampire. Because that's what Buster says. He's beyond vampire. <laughs> really nice to hear Arthur Holden singing. He doesn't get to do that a whole lot in the show, but he's got a really great voice, not just as Mr. Ratburn, but singing. We got to hear him a little bit when he was in his like teenage uh, rock group uh, with, with Sewer Rat, which still gets stuck in my head sometimes. So Buster is the first one to make the leap that Mr. Ratburn must be a superhero. And we get a couple of imagination sequences where they're thinking of him as a specific superhero. So Buster thinks that he is Rocket Ratburn, which could not be more obvious. If you've seen the movie, just a one-to-one direct homage to the Rocketeer, which is a really Mm. neat reference to make. Like, I appreciate that. But it was just like, wow, this is absolutely the Rocketeer. And he and his trusty mechanic Sparky, who is Buster, uh, are saving the world from an alien invasion. Um, It gets a bit more slapstick than I'm used to Arthur because they're invading in their flying saucers. Rocket Ratburn grabs the lead one. Um, The Martian takes one of the rudders on his boots off. So he uh, spins away, does Rocket Ratburn. But then the Martian does one of those like Wile E. Coyote look down Eep falls. And it's like, oh, that's quite a different approach to like physical comedy that I'm used to seeing both for Arthur and for like the flash years of Arthur. I was just going to say it's especially standard in the flash era. Cause it's fairly, a, a fairly dynamic little piece of uh, animation uh, would, especially compared to kind of the, as we call it negatively uh, cut out puppeteering yeah. that we sometimes see in the flash era. And what was also strange was that when Buster shows up in his imagination as Sparky, it, it's not the Buster voice. It's like, it's the Buster voice, but it's like a little bit like this. So he's like either trying to sound older or more like a mechanic. And it just sounded really weird for a second there. But that's Buster's imagination. He's trying to convince LaDonna of this. And it just so happens that they turn a corner and they see Mr. Ratburn lifting a boulder over his over his head with one arm. It's made out of paper mache because it's a prop for the Pirates of Penzance. And this convinces LaDonna that he's a superhero, but she imagines him as Swamp Rat instead of Swamp Thing. So she's 
in the bayou, as she would be, and gets saved from a from. I forget exactly what she calls it, but what it is, it's the Megatoad from just a few episodes ago. It's the same model as the Megatoad from Buster isn't buying it. And then Swamp Rat saves her, and he has this weird digital effect on his voice that's trying to make it sound more like otherworldly as he push, pushes the fan boat to safety and is going to teach her correct conjugation. Uh, I have to ask, if any of our listeners at home are actually from New Orleans... Could you please write in and let us know if, at this point, the characterization of LaDonna is just deeply offensive? Like, <laughs> she she introduces this segment as, you know, there's a legend about the bayou. And, then, <laughs> and this is obviously not an actual piece of New Orleans folklore, which is fine. That's okay. But... Imagine, if you will, a little kid, and the only th- you know reference point for New Orleans was LaDonna and Arthur. I feel like they would actually think this is real. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I feel like we've been talking about the Bayou kind of as a joke. Like, this is how loose and like lame the characterization of LaDonna is. The next episode, she's going to be cooking up a big old pot of gumbo. And it's like, it's actually that bad. Like, it's as bad as our jokes about her is. And, and I just, I don't know what they could do with LaDonna at this point besides being, oh, she she's cooking up that shrimp in her famous gumbo. She, that jambalaya, you yeah. know? Yeah. Next it's... she's going to be doing voodoo magic. Oh, <laughs> God, I hope not. But just, yeah, you're right. There's so little stereotypes really for new orleans that we keep having to go back to like yeah the bayou a fan boat and there there might have we might have already gotten gumbo at this point we're probably gonna get gumbo at some point but like yeah you're right i would actually be really interested to hear from any listeners who live in or have lived in new orleans at what they think of LaDonna and Bud. So finally, Arthur is still unconvinced by this, but it just so happens that Mr. Ratburn is at his house. He gets accidentally locked out while he's breaking in a new pair of tights, like show tights for the uh, the opera. So he's like jumping around outside quite well, actually. So he might have a bit of a dance background, but he gets locked out. So he has to climb to his roof to get through an open window. He ties his jacket around like scarf style, but it flows behind him like a cape. And Arthur, LaDonna, and Buster are walking by, and Arthur sees him on his roof strike what looks like a superhero pose with the cape billowing, and that just gets his mind going. So Arthur's imagination is that Mr. Ratburn is Silkworm Man. Now this now this one's a bit this one's a bit dense, so let's 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 just go go by this. So Silkworm Man is a takeoff of Spider-Man. But there's a bit more, I guess, production behind this one. In Arthur's imagination, DW has grown gigantic. And we get this very dramatic dramatic read from Dad Reed, who says, DW ate my experimental high-yeast muffins, and now she's expanded. So she is... This, this it's, was the it, heartiest laugh I, uh, it, from this episode. The, 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 this gag was hilarious. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very funny read from Bruce Dinsmore and DW is bigger than the house. She opens up the roof and wants everyone to watch Mary Moo Cow with her. Then Silkworm Man comes in. He even has his own theme which is sung by Francine's voice actor Jody Restler. It's kind of a takeoff on the 60s Spider-Man theme, but it's different enough. And the thing with Silkworm Man is that he does shoot webs 
but it's from his mouth. So he shoots webs from his mouth, ties up giant DW, and gets her to be tame. And when he speaks, he speaks with a lisp because he's still got um, bits of web around his mouth. So um, when he's thinking about how what can what can they use to take away the yeast content in DW's stomach, uh, he looks at the camera and says, "It's that teachable moment." And it's it's this kind of lisp because his this, tongue uh, this is getting in the way. Grossed me out. I thought this was gross, and, and I already was thinking this was gross when he had the silk, like in his mouth, and he was like lisping. And then Arthur shows up. Yes, and as his sidekick, that was really gross. As his sidekick, Larva Lad, Arthur comes in with a big truck that has a giant. A uh, bowl of popcorn in it, which will counteract the yeast in DW system. But Arthur is like, it's it's tough to tell, like if he's in a costume or if he is just an inchworm that has Arthur's face. Like he is much smaller. He's like this multicolored inchworm, and yeah, Larva Lad is his name. Um, I will say, and and Lucas, I. The funny thing is, is that the theme song agrees with you. There is a lyric that's just like, you know, it talks about he shoots web from his mouth. It's really gross. So this is not this is not supposed to be taken seriously, thankfully. But it is very strange. So DW, Giant DW, eats the popcorn and shrinks back down. And that's Silkworm Man. Definitely the strangest of the three, which, which is, I mean, I appreciate the off-the-wall kind of thinking around this. But this, uh, I mean, it yeah. definitely harkens back to the kind of really bizarre Arthur dream sequences of old. Yes, yeah, you're right. Arthur, Buster, Ladonna, all are convinced that Mr. Ratburn is a superhero, and they're all really trying to be his sidekick. So when his phone rings the next day in class, they try to like cover for him so that he can go save the city. So like Ladonna pretends to stub her toe, or uh, you know, all this and. It's very quickly discovered off screen by them. Like there's barely anything with this, but they quickly discover that Mr. Ratburn's not a superhero. He is a costume designer, but he is about to save the day because that fabled opera singer comes to Elwood City, but he doesn't speak because he has laryngitis. So Mr. Ratburn, who has said several times that he knows all the lyrics to the Pirates of Penzance off by heart, has to save the day by filling in. And of course, this means that we do get Mr. Ratburn, Arthur Holden, singing some of the lyrics to Modern Major General, which Ratburn, I can't believe it took us this long. He's absolutely one of those fictional characters who knows all the words to Modern Major General. You know, Frazier and Niles, um, mm-hmm. Do- mm-hmm. Dr. Morden from Mass Effect. Like, he, it's just like, oh, of course he knows all of that. Why Why wouldn't he? It's 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 good. Like, that, that moment I really appreciated. I did. I also thought this was kind of the perfect payoff to tie this episode up in a little bow. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. Speaking of superheroes, Isaiah and his second grade class are all talking about their secret talents and what makes them a superhero. Then they make comic strips and they do little presentations where they dress up with like car uh like uh construction paper crowns and capes and masks and that stuff um <laughs> of course the winner of this segment is this kid who the first kid who goes up for this secret talent he says my secret talent is eating italian ice me too brother the leader he becomes italian ice eater 
I thought he said Italian rice, and I'm like, yeah, man, me too. But Italian ice is, I mean, it, Lucas, as the resident Italian on the show, uh, Italian ice is like a snow cone, right? Uh, well, you could have, yeah, it's 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 exactly, it's like a snow cone, basically. Um, there's also not to be conflated with Italian soda. Um, either way, I just like the, the idea that this is his superpower. As if, you know, not everyone can eat Italian ice. Maybe he's particularly good at eating Italian ice. But every other care, every other uh, student, rather, they, they all come up with legitimate, like, some of them just want to fly or have super strength, like, pretty run-of-the-mill superhero powers. Uh, Italian ice kid stands out. There's one girl who just cartwheels. There's one girl who's, like, a really good singer. But, yeah, it's just, like, eating Italian ice. It's like, that could be my secret talent, too. Nobody's, nobody's asked me. Uh, I did also just want to add part of their assignment is to create a comic strip like the assignments when I was their age where I got to make my own comic like I remember like expanded my mind when I realized you can make <laughs> you can make your own comic you can just do that like I thought you had to be an adult to do that no you don't you just need to have a basic grasp of what comics look like and you can totally make your own supporting this podcast is how it keeps going and it's very easy to do so here's how you can do that if you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of elwood city limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots you can listen on apple podcasts spotify google and even more services you can also go to our youtube page youtube.com elwood city limits for the full back catalog if we aren't on a service you use please let us know you can interact with us on social media we're on twitter at ecl podcast instagram at elwood city limits and twitch.tv slash elwood city limits pod for our occasional streams we're also on facebook and tumblr feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show elwood city limits at gmail.com finally for exclusive content including entire side series like for the kids a pbs kids podcast and ecl origins subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash elwood city limits that's all for now thanks a lot for listening and now back to the show Arthur, Buster, and LaDonna also feature into this second story called Besties. Arthur starts us off in the cold open. It's obvious when something is the best. But when it comes to friends, can you have more than one best friend? So Arthur and Buster are busy giving these number one uh, ribbons to things that are obviously the best. Like Pal. Pal is the best dog, and he gets a number one ribbon, which very, very much... I, I appreciate it. They give a best episode of Bionic Bunny ever, uh, number one ribbon, which also features a rat character that looks a lot like Mr. Ratburn. So speaking of him being a superhero, maybe that's him as a supervillain. And finally, when Arthur asks, can you have more than one best friend? This upsets Buster and he walks away and Arthur has to go like, no, no, no. Like you're obviously my best friend, but there's this, this is a, uh, not necessarily indicative of what the actual conflict of this is going to be about, other than it is around the uh, identifying label of best friend. We start off with Buster and LaDonna. They meet up at Arthur's place. They they open the door, and they've got their hands in that classic, like that fr- facing forward gesture where it's like, pretend to be a dog, and you kind of hook your hands and like put them in front of you, except they're supposed to be meerkats because they want to see the movie Mr. Meerkat's Merry Misadventure in 3D. So Buster and LaDonna are stoked to go, 
But Arthur can't go. He promised that he would clean out the garage, and he needs to do it right then. So Bustler, Buster and LaDonna go together, which is initially kind of awkward for them, because Arthur is the connecting tissue between the two of them, and they've never had a lot of time on their own. So they don't really know what to say to each other other than, I wish Arthur was here. <laughs> but they do end up having a good time because... A, the popcorn machine at the theater explodes, literally with the kid behind the counter going, it's going to blow. And then it explodes. Oh, by the way, the kid behind the counter, throwaway character of the week. I was wondering. The delivery of it's going to blow, um, he really put his whole heart into it. And I just like – I like it when they give – they, they try to show teenagers. It's kind of hard to draw a teenager in the Arthur universe because the adults are obviously – their proportions are different than the kids, and the kids are obvious. Yeah. Teenagers, there's a certain something to draw them without them looking like the full-grown adults. And I find they do this often where they kind of use the rat whiskers to give them sort of like a pseudo-bad teenage mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's what I feel like they were going with with this character. But yes, the, the popcorn attendee screaming – it's gonna blow is by and far the throwaway character of the week. So this causes chaos everywhere. People are getting hit with popcorn. There's a dog that finds its way in and starts eating the popcorn. And we learn later off screen that the dog threw up, which is too bad. Uh, my favorite, speaking of teenagers, is the gator dude. Remember we saw this guy in an earlier episode. He was at the comic shop. So he's like a he he seems like he might be like teenage age he's got these he's like an alligator or maybe a crocodile i, I didn't check his beak he's got the the headphones in he's got like um uh oh gosh like a, a t-shirt that doesn't cover his stomach and like shorts on and he's catching the popcorn with his shirt i love this guy i love this guy's design i want to know more about him i want to be i want to be this guy this whole incident so you know, this whole episode really, the crux of this episode is this incident, right? Because yes. the, the the whole episode harkens back to this incident and, and, you know, not to spoil the episode, but it's basically LaDonna and Buster sharing this moment together kind of puts a strain on Arthur and Buster's friendship because he, he misses out on this inside joke. And it's interesting because this whole episode doesn't work if this incident isn't... Something that you would miss. Right, yeah. <laughs> and something that wouldn't have the same impact if someone explained it to you. So they really do a good job, you know, in this minute, minute and a half that this whole kind of chaotic episode takes place in. They do a really good job of, of editing this and putting this together to make it feel appropriately like uh, a chaotic kind of can't miss moment of you know the popcorn the music is is frenetic the popcorn's exploding people are screaming everyone's yeah. running around um i feel like there's an element of chaos uh that we haven't seen in arthur for a while that this moment really delivers on and so i i was really happy for it i myself was pretty giddy along with buster and ladonna watching this unfold and i kind of like you know sometimes arthur it could be pretty mushy and uh, the characters are usually really nice, empathetic people. Buster and LaDonna do not seem <laughs> all that worried about, you know, the woman who's fainting and being dragged away yeah. and, and her shoes are getting puked on. Later on, <laughs> when Buster's talking about this, they're trying to explain what was going on to, to Arthur. He's like, yeah, it was awesome. But this lady's shoes got puked on by a dog. It was so funny. I mean, it's it's totally believable that, like, 
eight-year-old to be like, oh, barf, awesome. But it's rare, It's very rare that, you know, speaking of another older Arthur episode, it's like how excited Arthur and Buster were about barf bags in that early episode. Um, but Arthur feels left out here, and the Buster and LaDonna love to retell this story to people who weren't there, and it begins to bother him a little bit. And he kind of has has a bit something sort of snide to say of just like uh it's like oh why don't we all get in a time machine and go back and experience it together and buster's like you have a time machine but sue ellen comes up to arthur and says that's how it starts losing your best friend and i was like my god that's that's a bit dark a bit of a dark uh conclusion to jump to but sue ellen tells arthur that a similar situation happened to her with her previous best friend, Marilyn Labatsky. This is before she moved to Elwood City. And she had this best friend named Marilyn that did everything together, much like Arthur and Buster. Then they both got a new friend whose name is Sybil Whitcraft. And they were all three of them were good friends. And then one day, Sue Ellen couldn't make the macrame class they did together. And something amazing happened at that macrame class that Marilyn and Sybil got to see together. And then after that... It, it, Sue Ellen was no longer best friends with Marilyn because Marilyn and Sybil were best friends with each other. And this is what causes Arthur to just go into that classic Arthur spiral of uh, just, I don't want to be too dramatic, but just like that anxiety spiral that causes him to act the way he does. And I'll be, I, I'm really interested to get to the end of this uh, so we can talk about it a bit more. But here's here's where it goes. Arthur starts trying to suck up to Buster to reassert himself as Buster's best friend because he's seeing this as like, well, they had this experience together. Now they are best friends. I'm being usurped, especially after hearing Sue Ellen's story. So he bakes a boysenberry pie with his dad for Buster, which is Buster's favorite pie. And then he watches him eat the whole thing. (laughs) It's funny, like Arthur brings it over. He opens it up and then he literally like, wafts the scent over to Buster cartoon style like he pushes it over to him so you can smell it and then he just watches him eat the whole thing from across the table while like gazing at him with moon eyes (laughs) and then as he finishes Arthur shows him a photo album of them together with like some kind of general memories from the show just like here's us at the beach here's us at the roller coaster here's us when we were four Anyway, see you later. And then we also hear from Buster that he organized Buster's locker uh, as well. This makes Buster feel really suspicious. And he like he doesn't know. He knows Arthur well enough to know that something is not right, that he's doing this stuff. And then Arthur has a dream where he is in the audience for a musical number that Buster and LaDonna do together. Now that they are best friends, and specifically they're not friends with Arthur anymore. So this musical number, I'm assuming that it was called New Best Friend. It's kind of a vaudeville routine. It also, there's a lot of like Buster singing at the piano. Kind of gave me Tick, Tick, Boom vibes, if you've seen that musical or movie. Uh, Uh, I definitely have not seen Tick, Tick, Boom. I was saying when he's sitting at the piano, it's very much like a crooner. Yes. Kind of like an old blue eyes, you know, to use a more contemporary example Kind of like Seth MacFarlane's whole thing these days. Oh, sure. But, you know, like, yeah, very much like a Sinatra rat pack kind of, you know, you go out to an Italian restaurant and there's some guy crooning. Yes. And then it goes, yeah, it goes into a full-on vaudeville routine. Um, this song 
is actually really good. It yeah, suffers it is. a little bit from for those of you with the Patreon who listened to our episode about Veggie Tales. We talk about how the buddy song in that episode that we talk about is uh it's the song is too good. Mm-hmm. You know, the song that's that's about loving the buddy more than God in your family was just too good and kids were singing that. Um, this is kind of the same way where this song about how they don't want to be friends with Arthur anymore and how they're not friends with Arthur, they're just better friends with each other, is really catchy and really good, <laughs> uh, which I think adds to the drama of it all. Yeah, there's even and there, one of the lines, it's like, it's totally not subtle, just them both saying, and the best thing is, we'll do it without you. And they, paint, and they point to Arthur, just like, we're not only going to be friends, we're going to deliberately exclude you. And Buster at the end says, you know, it's okay, Arthur, you can have somebody else as a best friend. Arthur looks across the table and there's like a warthog dude like the, and he kind of snorts and Arthur wakes up in horror. And I was like, like, I get it that it's upsetting Arthur and it's a dream it doesn't have to make sense. But like, what's wrong with the warthog guy? Maybe he's cool. Like why? Mm. Like he didn't even say anything weird. He just kind of looked at him and snorted I'm like. Okay, well, maybe the warthog guy is cool, which is weird. So then Arthur steps it up. He tries to drive, actively drive a wedge between Buster and LaDonna, and he starts lying to them about things the other allegedly said about the the other. So like just just really lying. And I and I saw this happening and like We've seen Arthur act like this when his back's up against the wall and I've talked about this a bunch of times about how I actually really like that this is part of Arthur's character uh, in terms of when he is like peak anxiety. He just totally acts out of not out of character, but he acts out of desperation. And that's been a pretty consistent part of his character for the whole thing. And I would say that that is consistent here. But man, this is really this is beyond the pale of some of the stuff that Arthur has done. Now, granted, you know, we've talked about him hitting DW or like all this other stuff. Like there's no end of examples of him. The letter, the whole thing with Francine and uh, bullying her and sending her the letter recently that we talked about. But like this, like he's lying to both of his friends and there's never any that, that I can recall. Like there's never any point where Arthur's like, should I be doing this? This doesn't feel good. He's like, gleefully lying to both of them to make them less friends and to drive Buster back to him. I just think it's really like crappy of him in a way that is a bit too far, honestly. And, and and it's interesting that we just had this whole thing about uh, Muffy in the last episode where she starts off by saying this really ignorant thing. And then she kind of learns her lesson. And that's what justified the use of, you know, what she said this. Well, I, we will get into it by the end of the episode, but to just step over that a little bit, I don't think that this was appropriately reacted to or, like, I don't think Arthur got appropriate comeuppance here for something mm, that I think is really bad. Like, lying to both of your friends to make to try to make them dislike each other to benefit you is, like, I don't know how else to say it. This is, like, that's a really bad thing to do. Mm. We're almost at the end here, so we might as well just wrap this up here. Buster and LaDonna think that the other one has been saying things behind their back. They go to the zoo, Arthur and Buster go to the zoo, and they 
Buster sees LaDonna and is like, I'm going to talk to her about this. And Arthur is desperately trying to get them to not say anything because in saying th- in saying something, they will reveal that they didn't never actually said any of this stuff. And that's that does end up happening. And Arthur does at least say like, yeah, no, sorry, that was me. I lied to you. Uh, I'm really, really sorry. And then to completely cut away from that, the monkeys at the zoo uh, get a hold of one of their keeper's cameras and end up creating their own little scene, much like the popcorn machine did earlier in the episode. And this becomes a story that Arthur, Buster, and LaDonna can tell together. So later on, we see them recapping the whole thing to Muffy and Francine, who, much like Arthur you know, are not so much entertained by it. They're almost, they almost seem kind of like bored or annoyed by it. And Arthur says, you just had to be there, which is what Buster and LaDonna kept saying about their stories. Like, you just had to be there. And I'm like, and and that's the end of the episode. I'm just like, that's it? Like, Arthur did something really dishonest, and he doesn't face any consequences for it. And the solution here is he did he did apologize but nothing came of that. No consequences came of that. And the solution that this, the episode gives is that then he has an experience <laughs> that he can lord over other people to make them feel mm. left out instead of him. <laughs> and we're going to we're going to talk about this. Well, we'll talk about this in a second. Lucas, did you have anything else to add about this kind of ending here? Uh, no, just that, I mean, I I would be remiss if I didn't point out that one of many examples of animal hierarchy in this episode, <laughs> uh, from, you know, the dog puking on the lady's shoes to the monkeys at the zoo, you know, why are these monkeys in the prison at the zoo when Francine lives in an apartment? What's going on? Uh, and I, you know, if I don't say it, someone in the Discord will, will. Yeah, just, just just doing our due diligence around animal hierarchy. Okay, so let's talk about these episodes here. This is Mr. Rapper and Secret Identity is one that Ashley said was uh, one of the best, strongest episodes of the season. Lucas, do you agree? What did you think about it? Uh, I, I I thought the episode was creative. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily one of my favorites of the season. I think mileage may vary depending on how much you like the superhero stuff. Right. Keep in mind, this episode came out in 2015, where that was in the throngs of superhero mania. You know, post-Marvel's The Adventures, uh, pre-Marvel's Infinity Stone or whatever. Uh, So this is like kind of the peak of the popularity of all of that stuff. So I feel like that's why they had to return to some of the superhero stuff that they'd been doing for a really long time. You know, Dark Bunny's been there since the beginning, even though it started out as more of a Batman the Animated Series parody. But for me, superheroes really do nothing for me. So even the, like, and and this is a fun creative exercise. We see the kids do it in the Award From Us Kids. Reimagining all these Arthur characters as different superhero characters. It's just not my, like, doesn't really do anything for me. I I liked how gross uh, Silkworm Man and Lava Lad is and how messed up that sequence is. And it's also really funny that DW becomes giant from the experimental yeast. But besides that, in terms of the crux of the episode, it's like how I said earlier, they kind of give it away. There's no dramatic um, rising tension in that episode because the whole time um, we know that the kids are incorrect. He's just making costumes for this opera. And so the kids' speculation is kind of pointless because us as the audience, we understand what's going on the whole time. I mean, I guess the point being that the kids get to picture all these superhero scenarios, but... 
for someone like myself who that doesn't really do much for there, there's no kind of dramatic tension ratcheting up. Whereas, for instance, in the episode where they think Mr. Rappert's a vampire man, it's like, oh my goodness, our teacher is, is killing students and <laughs> disemboweling them, and oh, this is so crazy. Uh, but at this point, I, I don't know, structurally, this episode doesn't really work for me. Um, maybe I would say it, it doesn't rise to the sum of its parts, because there's a lot of funny elements in here, and I love the ending. I do like the ending where he kind of gets to be a superhero and that he performs modern Major General. Um, it, it, like you said, Will, it so makes sense for his character. They picked the exact right opera for him to be doing, um, and it's kind of a nice moment. Uh, but everything leading up to that, I could kind of take or leave, personally. I agree with you. Um, yeah, there were really fun parts to this episode, but it didn't so much come together into a whole that I thought was like, uh, especially spectacular. Uh, Mr. Ratburn always appreciate having him as like a perspective character. Uh, I just think that he's fun and I like it when we use a bit more of the adults to have a little bit more fun with instead of being an authority figure. And so finding out that he's like into community theater, I mean, obviously he would be uh, costume designer, prop designer, like that's cool. His love for musicals totally makes sense. And seeing him do that at the end is really cool. Uh, I liked all of the imagination sequences just to see all the different types of superheroes that they were homaging. And yeah, the Silkworm Man one easily the best just because it's so out there. But in terms of, you know, it's it's one of, it's another one of these remixes of essentially Arthur and the real Mr. Ratburn. But they made the mistake of mentioning that in the episode. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like that, except... Not as not as strong, you know. It's it's it's, it's like in uh, that new Matrix movie, uh, which is obviously a meditation on all the other Matrix movies. But then they show you clips from the Matrix, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, I would rather be watching that movie." <laughs> <laughs> wow, this movie looks so much better. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's something that you just don't really want to do. It's it, it's it's okay that they want to. Um, remix these episodes but you also just gotta be like okay but try and make it its own thing and its own thing wasn't especially interesting beyond those little pieces so yeah not not bad or anything just kind of meh beyond those fun parts besties i was enjoying and then i feel the ending like botched the whole thing like, I really left this episode feeling, like, not good about what I just watched. And I got into a little bit about why. But it's interesting to contrast this with our reaction, as as we said, to Little Miss Meanie, which is the episode we just did, where Muffy, you know, for if you haven't listened to that one or if you don't remember, it's that Muffy says a really ableist thing about a character that we know, and it hit it hits you like a like a splash of cold water it's like oh my god i can't believe she said that but over the course of the episode we come to understand that like it's not that muffy is like the worst person you know she's really ignorant and she comes to a better understanding of the character that she said that about and her own understanding of that character and just in general like better understanding of what she what it is that she said so i think that they actually did that really well With here, it's that we have Arthur doing something similar to, again, that other episode, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name, where he is uncharacteristically mean to Francine. And I remember in that episode, me and Cash talked about how sometimes you have characters that you know doing things that are really, like, 
not even characters, like people you know. Sometimes people you know can be a lot meaner or more cruel or just do things that you don't expect them to do because you thought you knew them well. And I was kind of willing to let it go in that case because um, the whole episode was built around like this bad thing that Arthur did and having him act this way. With this, it's like we have Arthur halfway through the episode do something that I think is really like way too far for that character. And then he doesn't he does apologize for it, but he doesn't face any consequences. If anything, he kind of gets what he wanted. He becomes closer friends somehow with LaDonna and Buster, and then he gets to make other people feel left out, which I don't think is a very good moral at all. Like, it's it feels like, like there's got to have been a better way to wrap up this episode. Maybe it's, like, Arthur has to face a, a consequence here, I feel. And, I, you know, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill or anything. It didn't distress me to see this. But it is, like, it's so close to a lot of other episodes that I feel did this kind of thing better. Where you have a character you like mm. doing something. And we even talked about it in the beginning of this episode. To have them do something bad and then learn from it. This is, Arthur does something bad and everything works out for him anyway. And then it's just like, oh, so... So Arthur's just always kind of capable of this and he doesn't learn from it. And it, 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 for me, like I sit with the fact that like, obviously Arthur's an episodic show and this likely won't carry over into future episodes. But as I said before, Arthur with these anxious and self-serving um, traits are negative aspects of his character that are pretty consistent. But they always kind of, they never went too, too far. And I feel like this one did. Like, there's something just about Arthur lying to Buster and lying to LaDonna, Buster especially, and not being really sorry about it when he's doing it or not recognizing that what he's doing is really bad. Only at the end, when he's caught, does he go like, I'm really, really sorry. I'm like, I almost kind of don't believe you. You know, you just you just got caught and now you have to try and save your friendship Whereas in real life, I feel like if this happened, no matter what age you're at, you're just like, oh, I thought I knew you and you did something really, really bad and I can't trust you anymore. So it just really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And unfortunately, like the, the there are parts of this episode that are kind of kind of fun and then it gets not fun and I don't end up really liking it that much. So that's that's my feelings about it. Very interesting, Will. And I think I, uh, you know, you helped me see this episode in a whole new perspective. I don't know if it's because I have such a distaste for LaDonna mm. or because that I always kind of see a lot of Arthur's uh, anxiety-induced behavior as kind of, uh, you know, it's always, I've always seen it as a risk to hurting those around him. Though I do agree with you that this is different. I guess for me personally, uh, I I I just kind of let this episode watch it over me because I was enjoying it. So sure. I uh, uh, I think if we you know look at this episode with the critical lens that we tend to, and we think about how what this episode is saying about how you should treat your friends, you're a hundred percent right. Looking at this episode through the lens of did I enjoy this episode Arthur episode? I I was fruitfully entertained. I okay. kind of liked seeing Arthur manipulate gaslight gatekeep, uh, <laughs> just being horrible to his friends. Uh, I liked seeing the machinations of his anxious mind uh, as a musical number. 
Uh, sure. I think that's a great way to do that, especially when the song was really good. Um, and I think that they, the moment that Arthur misses the kind of like inside joke moment and the way people talk about inside jokes uh, that you're not privy to, I think was well done. Um, I think that, you know, if, because we're seeing the moment as an audience, it's got to deliver on that. And I think they delivered. And it's true that when you're not in on a joke or something, people do talk that way. Totally. Um, but you're right that it does not justify Arthur's behavior later on. I just don't think that bothered me very much. Uh, the other thing I'll say, though, again, and, and not to keep the LaDonna hate going on, <laughs> you know, so many episodes in a row. Was there a single thing LaDonna did in this episode that could not have been replaced with Francine? That was something that huh. I was struck thinking about. About, you know, if we think about LaDonna's role in the friend, friend group, the, what's excellent about the Arthur characters is that they're all distinct. And so when we have, like, a big ensemble episode, everybody's doing something different, right? Yes. Did LaDonna do anything in this episode that couldn't have been replaced with every single other character, whether it's Brain, whether it would be Muffy, was there anything that she did that was kind of distinct to herself? And I don't think there is. <laughs> I, I really, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm at the point now, with the exception of when she's in the fish out of water story. This isn't what they do down in Louisiana. Yeah. When, when she, that, that's something that she could do at least that's a little bit different than everybody. But with with that exception, what does LaDonna do that's different than any of the other cast members? And so the, that was something that I was like, man, I really hope that they maybe in, in future seasons or what have you, um, give her another element of character besides being she's someone from somewhere else. Because right now, there isn't really anything. That's a really good point uh, about LaDonna and about this episode. Like, I that I think that's going to be really interesting to think about as, as we go... As we go forward, and I th- and I I appreciate that you brought up the more positive aspects of Besties. Um, it really left a bad taste in my mouth, but that doesn't mean that there weren't good things about the episode, funny things, like good elements. So that, I don't mean to hold to throw the whole episode out, but I appreciate you bringing that up. It just kind of really left me uh, feeling mm. feeling weird about it. But I will be very interested to see what our listeners think about it after they watch the show and listen to our episode. So thank you for listening to our episode of Velvet City Limits. Really appreciate you doing that. Lucas, it's month two of our bi-monthly podcast, Patreon podcast schedule. And that means we're heading into February and ECL Origins is going to be next. And there have been a couple of times where I've kind of pulled rank and been like, this is what we're talking about. And I tried to tailor it to something that we both have opinions on. But I want to do the opposite this time. I want to do a show that I know nothing about, but you know at least something about, and our listeners know about as well. We've talked about it many times. I want to learn more about it, and I want to hear how you feel about it. I want to talk about the amazing world of Gumball. Mm, that's very exciting stuff, Will. You know, longtime listeners of the show kind of will know that I often bring it up as kind of the gold standard for children's television in a post-Spongebob, kind of post-Flash animation being the standard world. So I'm really excited uh, to discuss it. Uh, and I have some ideas already, Will, of what episode we should watch. So uh, that's exciting stuff. 
yeah, we'll be talking about that at the end of the month. If you're on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits, you'll get to hear it uh, in full, but you'll also get a preview of it here on the free feed, as you also have a preview of our Veggie Tales episode of For the Kids. So check that out if you haven't, and if you want to subscribe, uh, you can do that to hear the full episode. We've also got dozens and dozens of uh, other stuff, as well as Discord access, early access to ECL episodes, and more. And we're going to be finishing off Season 19 on our next episode of Elwood City Limits. We're talking about The Last Day. Now, there is a, uh, there's an Arthur episode that is very similar to this one. I had to check and make sure we hadn't already talked about this. We haven't. So this is going to be totally new. It's another, like, one story through the whole 22-minute episode. And that's going to cap off Season 19 for us, which will mean that we are just around the corner from some more big changes in Arthur. So really excited to finish things off and to keep us going on track as we enter into February. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. Oh, now this is fun. I'm having fun. We'll see you next time.